everybody, and welcome to Old School, a podcast from the Old Davy School Historical Museum. I'm Kim, the Education Director here at ODS, and I'm excited for this big episode today. But first, a few updates. We are offering guided tours Wednesdays and Saturdays at 10, 11.30, and 1 p.m. Coming up in October, November, and December, each Saturday will have a special theme with different activities every month. So for October, there will be a mad scientist lab where you can mix and taste some tasty potions and meet investigators from the War Party Paranormal Group. They'll be here to demonstrate the different equipment and techniques that they use in their paranormal research. And it's really neat, this past weekend, they actually picked up an EVP, uh, Electronic Voice Phenomena, in the Veely House. So who knows what you'll find when you're here. Along with War Party Paranormal, we are offering an exclusive and unique look at the Old Davy School and Historic Houses with a late-night paranormal investigation on October 30th from 10 p.m. till 2 a.m. Don't worry, we will have coffee. This will be limited to a small group, and tickets are available now. It's also a full moon, so really, who knows what'll happen. On November 21st, we will have our historic Davy walking tour. You can lace up your shoes and spend some time outside getting to know the town around you as we walk about a mile loop to see some of the historical buildings nearby. Tickets are $15, but they're only $12 for members. And we are able to host small private events again. If you are looking for venue space for any kind of event, you can call us at 954-797-1044 or email events at olddavieschool.org. We're excited to celebrate with you. Let's get started with a little bit about Davy during World War II. So World War II is such an interesting time on the home front for small communities like Davy. So I hope this is just a, the first of many podcasts about life then. I continue finding new things and hear different stories, so we'll definitely be doing a few follow-up episodes. But World War II broke out overseas in 1939, and the United States attempted to stay out of the conflict. Technically neutral, but they were still sending support and war materials to Europe. The U.S. might not have been in the war yet, but people were paying very close attention. In Davie, Holy Sterling, who is Frank Sterling's son, Frank Sterling was the first mayor of Davie, and who we get the name for Sterling Road from, Holy was working on the farms and groves like many others at the time, but he was also a pilot with five years' experience. He was young, he was only 24 years old, he had learned to fly, and many people's first flights were with him taking off right on, on Davie Road, flying around and landing. He also did a tour around the whole state. But he enlisted with the Royal Canadian Air Force in May of 1941, so when the U.S. was not in the war yet. And an article from the Miami Herald states, Before his departure, Holy declared that he will make himself available as a combat pilot, and the sooner he can complete the prescribed training and get over on the other side for a whack at a Messerschmitt or two, the better he will like it. Holy went to Canada, and he served in the Air Transport Auxiliary of the British Flying Command. So this was a ferry unit where they would fly planes that were being built in Canada over to England. And in particular, he flew bombers to England, Ireland, and Scotland. Only a few months later, on December 7th, 1941, the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor and the United States entered the war. During this time, Holy's family had not received a letter from him since December. And when they finally heard word from him in March 1942, that he would be returning home in the summer at the end of his 18-month contract, Frank Sterling wrote a letter back to Holy that we actually have as a part of our collection. So a part of that reads, 
From, this is from Frank Sterling to Hulley. I want you to know that we are all mighty happy to look forward to seeing you at that time, and today when I read your letter to all of the boys on the job, they were almost as happy as Walter and Clarella and I were. Walter was his brother and Clarella is his sister-in-law. Dad Spooner says he is going to barbecue a goat and a pig when you come, and I am seeing to it that there will be several orange and grapefruit trees full of fruit awaiting you and you alone. It continues a little later. Boy, the air is full of planes here all day and at night. It's the same all over Florida, all over the whole U.S. Dad counted 35 bombers in one bunch today over Section 14. It seems to me that with all these fine fellows doing what they are doing all over the country, that Mr. Hitler, Mr. Hirohito, and Mr. Mussolini are ultimately going to have a plenty coming to them. Holy, the whole energy, the wonderful executive ability, and the initiative of the United States with its tremendous resources is now going to town in a real big way. In such a big way that should I tell you what little I know of the war program underway, and should this letter fall into the hands of the enemy, they'd sure have a fit when they read it. The mind of the whole nation is fully made up to finish this thing up in a way that will settle, definitely, the way to live, the proper way to live, and the way democracies should live, the only decent way. So my boy, I am happy to write you tonight, happier still to have heard from you today, and glad indeed to know that I will see you this summer. Proud as all get out of what you are doing for our allies and for our own country and for all of your loved ones. So it's just a really sweet letter from father to son, and it gives you a look into the town in those early months. Holy returned after his 18-month contract with the Royal Air Force ended, and he came home and he enlisted in the U.S. Navy as a lieutenant, and he served the remainder of the war, making it home safely. And he was just one of many Navy men to serve. The selective service, or the draft, required all men between the ages of 20 and 44 able for military service and required all men between the ages of 18 and 64 to register. And the Davy School, right here, was set up as one of those locations to register. I would love to find out where and how that worked, and if you could just imagine people walking in to sign up to go to war, 1942. It's just unbelievable. The town would eventually build a large sign at the Chamber of Commerce building that listed all of the men overseas from Davy, and it was known as the Davy Honor Roll. I'll post a photo of that to Facebook and Instagram so you can get a look and see those names. In March of 1942, Davy did go forward with the second annual Orange Festival, which is today's Orange Blossom Festival. In a pamphlet for the event, Harry Earl, who was a member of the chamber, and he would also go on to serve as a training officer in the Signal Corps, he wrote a beautiful essay called The Spirit of Davy and of America, where he says, We have already obtained a glimpse, and only a glimpse, of the sacrifices each one of us will be called upon to make. In all probability, one year from this day, our present daily mode of life may be only a pleasant memory to comfort us amid sorrow, grueling work, and perilous times. We are sure of one thing, however. We shall all carry a smile on our lips, along with a steel determination in our hearts, to wipe off completely and irrevocably from the face of the world those barbaric forces which today stand gloatingly on the sacred threshold of our ramparts. Just very beautiful flowery, but... He continues that this festival stands as a symbol of what community spirit, teamwork, and the will to do can accomplish. This spirit developed to the full in each hamlet, village, town, and city of our fair land will make the national spirit, the national unity, and the national will so vital for victory over our enemies. Let Davy then set the example for our neighboring cities, to the state of Florida, indeed to the entire nation, of what unity and the will to do can accomplish. It's just a very nice patriotic speech there. 
and the town did come together for the war effort. One major contribution was building an airplane spotting tower. When army officers from Miami desired to build a watchtower in the area, but there was no federal funds available, Ed Veely, who was the Davy Air Warden, also of the Veely House that we have on our grounds here, Ed Veely organized the town, and the residents donated the materials and built it themselves. There's an article in the Fort Lauderdale Sentinel in 1942 that says that from the Florida Power and Light Company and the Southern Bell Telephone Company, long poles were obtained. Some of the main poles, more than 55 feet long, were hauled all the way from Hialeah by trucks. Davy men worked in gangs, digging holes in the ground 10 feet deep for the main support poles. By use of their own trucks and block and tackle, the poles were raised. They utilized their own hammers, nails, and saws for erecting the tower and building the observation booth on, the, on its top. Finally, the tower, which stands 50 feet above a raised point, was finished. A telephone was installed by the Bell Company, but the people of Davy pay the service charges. Binoculars for spotting planes were needed, so Dr. A.C. Wilhelm of Davy donated a pair. Still more glasses were required, and as no one else had a pair to donate, the Davy Chamber of Commerce sponsored a contest from which the proceeds went for the purchase of another pair of binoculars. The Army indicated that it would greatly prefer the tower to be manned on a 24-hour-a-day basis. Warden Veely called another meeting of his townfolk, presented the problem to them, and received pledges of complete cooperation. Since the first spotter went on duty, the tower has been manned every minute of each day and night. Women under Mrs. Shaw are on duty in four-hour shifts during the daytime, while the men work the night watches. Even the boys and girls take over the tower when their elders were unavailable. With the exception of a few young men who had been drafted, none of our folks have dropped out of the spotting unit, says Veely, and he's plenty proud of his cohorts, who man the tower with as strict attention to schedule as soldiers on sentinel duty. Through all kinds of weather, the Davy spotters stand watch. Whenever they see or hear a suspicious-appearing plane, they call into the central filter station, which relays the report to Army headquarters. In addition to keeping a lookout for airplanes, the Davy spotters watch for fires and other unusual occurrences in the surrounding area. And on a clear day, a spotter has an effective vision of almost 20 miles from the tower. Army officials, always seeking to keep their auxiliary forces on the alert, periodically send planes without insignia near the tower. The officers report that the Davy spotters have yet to fail in reporting the test planes immediately. Recently, a group of officers from Miami were at Davy and made a thorough inspection of the tower and of its forces. The report lauded the Davy efforts by stating that the tower was ideal in every respect, was manned by well-trained spotters, and would serve as an ideal model for spotting stations throughout the country. But such lavish praise from the Army didn't swell the heads of Ed Veely and his fellow Davy residents. As long as the war goes on and there's a need for it, we'll keep the tower going 24 hours a day, Veely asserts. And they did, through the, through the remainder of the war. The tower was placed in Wasico Grove, which is actually most of Cooper City today. So it's just outside the city center, but somewhere in Cooper City. I don't actually know the exact location, but... I interviewed Barbara Hammer McCall about what life was like growing up in Davie. And though she was a child at the time, she recalls her memories of World War II and the Watchtower. So here's a clip. They built this big... Watchtower, watchtower, mm -hmm. and and they had their uh, binoculars, and they watched, uh, and they had to call in. They gave them a phone. They had all the supplies that were just given to them by the government, mm -hmm. but they had a phone there, and they had to call the numbers, and report every plane that went over 
one way or the other or just anything in sight. Mm -hmm. And that was like until late at night. Charles and I would go with them and we'd fall asleep on the floor. Mm. Uh, they would take cushions and stuff for us to sleep on mm -hmm. because it was fun, really, for us. We had to climb that ladder by ourselves mm -hmm. and, and uh, they'd take snacks and they would feed us while they're watching for planes. When a plane comes, you'd hear that rumble from away, you know, mm -hmm. and then right, they'd have to get the binoculars right quick like when it got there. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was... It was fun and it was a real service. Yeah, and, and I, know, I remember the headlights on the cars mm -hmm. had to have the top half. I think it was just the top half. You had to put like black paint on it or something, oh. you know. Mm -hmm. So really, and everybody got into it. Women and children like Mrs. McCall actively contributed to the war effort. I'm working on some more research on the Davy women who served their country, and I'm hoping that will be its own episode soon. But at home, Victory gardens were a way to help the food supply, and according to a Fort Lauderdale Sentinel article in November 1942, the local Davy 4-H club organized as a 100% Victory Garden Club. Davy was an agricultural community already, but the Victory Gardens provided food for your family, so the larger crop could be sent to aid in the war effort. Another resident with a Victory Garden was Mrs. E.A. Sewell, whose son was training in Louisiana. She said, we never buy any vegetables when we go to town. What with the beets, carrots, cabbage, English peas, squash, collards, peppers, and eggplants from that well-kept little garden, she has not spent money for vegetables, and her table has been supplied with the highest quality of food. So it was one way that the families could each contribute, by planting their own garden at home. By May of 1942, the Navy authorized a 567-acre airfield to be constructed on the foreman's dairy land. So this is the area between University Drive and Davie Road to the east and west, and then between State Road 84 and Griffin Road to the north and south. It would be in connection with the U.S. Naval Air Station at Opalaka. It was built in a wagon wheel shape, like a big circle with four runways across the diameter, and it was oriented to the cardinal directions, and it allowed new pilots who were training in South Florida to practice landing in any crosswind, the claim to fame here is that the first George Bush learned to fly when he was stationed in Fort Lauderdale, so he would have flown in and out of here. The airfield was originally compacted dirt at first, but then it was later concreted. There were also barracks and an administrative building on the site. Pilots were also trained to fly bombers. They would circle out over the Everglades to drop the dummy bombs and then fly back. Mrs. McCall recalls hearing those planes from the airfield and her uncle's perilous close calls. And then do you remember the air, like, the airfield being active and was I, I do yeah and and Howard one of my uncles he was the crazy one he he would do dumb things especially if it would get a laugh but he at any rate he said the kid teenagers used to go to the airfield and um, whenever this was in the airfield in the glades though when they were practicing bombing they mm -hmm. would have things out that they were trying to bomb and he said they would get way too close to those things. And then they'd see it coming and they'd have to run and get out of the way. Well, you could have bogged down. Mm -hmm. But see, my mother never knew that. Mm -hmm. Howard told that story to me when he was, oh, when no. she was dead, after mm -hmm. she was dead. And uh, people tell stories, you know, but, but that was true. Yeah. And she would have died if she knew that even though the three are over there, the Howard's out here taking yep. chances, you know what I mean? Yeah, running, running into it here. Jeez. Exactly. Wow. And you, like, could you hear them flying over and dropping those? Or they was that they way would out be out west? in the glades, but, yeah. but you knew it was happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
The war drew on till 1945, and Mrs. McCall remembers hearing her three uncles would be returning safely home. But I can remember telling Mrs. Jenny at the end of the war that our boys are coming home. Because mm -hmm. my mother had been upset the whole time they were over there. Mm -hmm. And she, I used to come home from school and she'd have hives, big, oh, wow. big lips or someplace, anywhere she would have them. Because she worried herself silly. Right. So of the six of your six uncles, the three, three, three of them went. Oh, oh wow! The oh. three older, Ad and Carl and mm -hmm. Harry John, mm -hmm. and uh, Ad was was a sharp cookie. I mean, you could give him a list of numbers, and he could give you the the total. But at any rate, Ad, I think they put in an office. Oh, okay. And and he was an officer. Mm -hmm. But Carl and Harry John had been driving trucks, sod trucks, and all that, and loading up the sod trucks, and they put them driving trucks. So every time that we would see a movie, which was not very often, mm -hmm. but if we saw a movie, they would have previews mm -hmm. and news. Well, the news would show what's happening in the war. And here would come a semi full of troops or full of supplies or something, then they'd drive and then a bomb would fall. Oh. And my mother just would be absolutely oh. crazy after mm -hmm. that because that's what Harry John and Carl were doing, mm -hmm. driving those trucks. Yeah. And, and lots of people from Davy had been called to mm -hmm. all of the young men. Mm -hmm. Carl, Carl got uh, two letters the same day, right after he graduated from high school. He got a letter from uh, Ohio State University offering him football scholarship, and he got his summons draft to come paper. into the draft papers. And so he left, I think, the next week wow. to go into the service. Mm -hmm. uh, he didn't even consider the Ohio State, and he was a real a football star mm -hmm. because he was tall and could throw the ball you know mm -hmm. uh, but he didn't consider it and I don't think I think the service was what you had to do anyway mm -hmm. you know and it was good that they both graduated because they did Wow. Our, our boys were in heavy stuff Clifford Lloyd uh, Clifford and Harry John and somebody ran into each other on one of the islands wow. in the Pacific oh wow and they had a couple of days that they were going to be there, you mm -hmm. know, I guess maybe, I don't know what they were doing, checking them or something. And they said they both cried like babies, oh. the three of them, mm -hmm. Harry, maybe Harry was there too. They cried like babies and they were just so glad to see I'm sure. somebody that oh. they knew, you wow. know. I, just what they went through was terrible. But unfortunately, not all of the Davy men would return home. Ira D. Wiggins was killed in North Africa in 1943, and Junior C. Gandhi was killed just as the war ended in a plane crash in India in August 1945. The local American Legion honored them by naming the post the Gandhi Wiggins Post 223 after the men. At the war's end, South Florida boomed as men who had trained in Fort Lauderdale returned with their families as residents, seeking the warm tropical reprieve they had come to know. But Davie, just out west of the growing city of Fort Lauderdale, remained relatively small, and even by 1960, the population was only 2,000. So life in the quiet agricultural town resumed after the war. There are plenty more stories in between all of these that we will continue sharing on this podcast. If you have any questions or suggestions for future episodes, please let me know. You can email me at education at olddavieschool.org. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Stay safe and take care of each other.